Thank you guys for leading us in the presence of the Lord. And what a great testimony that was off Tiana, wasn't it? Uh, 37 salvations, uh, which is fantastic and really wonderful. And keep praying for our camps. Keep praying for the ark as it kicks off this week with our junior high. You may be new to Willow Park Church. We have about 700 teenagers that connect with us. Uh, Four great uh, locations. Six um, congregations, and um, it's just amazing what God is doing and, and just the way he's working. So pray for the ark, pray for Garden Lake, pray for Maple Springs, uh, pray for Green Bay. I'm not going to leave out a camp, Sunny Bray, I don't know, uh, somewhere else. Pray for any camp um, in the valley that God will be at work and minister. Well, we have been working our way through the book of Philemon. I know last week Glenn uh, changed the word Philemon a number of times uh, from a different saying, which, you know, he admitted it's the right way to pronounce it, is the right way of which he is then saying it, which I thought was genius. So if I do that, you know that's the right way that you, at that moment, that's the correct Greek being applied in that context, okay? So we understand that. But Philemon, what an amazing book. It is a masterpiece in the ancient world. It is so unique and so incredible that there is no small letter that compares to it in anywhere in antiquity. This makes it important. But Philemon is a little bit like coming into a movie halfway through and trying to work out what on earth is going on. Okay, so, so the slaves ran away and he's ended up in Rome. And so, you're going, okay, why has he run away? Has he, he doesn't actually say why. He doesn't actually say uh, what's going on. But he's obviously offended his master, Philemon, and there is a problem and a difficulty. He ends up in Rome with one million people in that great city. And by God's providence, he bumps into the Apostle Paul. This slave is viewed as useless. This slave is viewed as somebody who has no purpose and has brought great dishonor on his master, who happens to be a wealthy church leader in Colossia. And there in his own house, people gather together and it's the earliest church that is there, led by Philemon, who is obviously influential, obviously well-known, and obviously incredibly close to the Apostle Paul. So it's a little bit like you've walked into this movie again, well, who's this? Why has he done that? Why is Paul writing in this way? Why is this happening here? This all seems very confusing. He's a slave. Slaves did revolt. From about... um, 104 BC to about AD 70, about every 30 years, there would be a slave uprising. It all stopped about AD 70 because uh, there was a guy that rose up called Spartacus. And if you remember the 1960s film with Kurt Douglas, I am Spartacus. Yes, no, you don't because you're all so young. And... And I am Spartacus. Of course, he raised up and and fought Marcus. And there they ended up crucifying all of the slaves. And that seemed to 
put something in the psyche of a slave society that they never did again. Remember, being a slave in the Roman Empire wasn't because of ethnicity. Being a slave was for two reasons. Number one, you lost a battle, therefore you became a slave. So that's why there were lots of English people there, slaves. And the second reason is you went bankrupt and you couldn't pay your debts and you became a slave. Now at this moment you'll all go, Phew. that credit card had pretty hefty implications if you failed to pay it back then. You're in trouble. So what is this really about? Well, what the Apostle Paul is trying to do, he's trying to form a picture that says, hang about, Christian faith is about character, and character is king. In community, it's all about character. We may have the charismata. We may have the power. We may have the strength. We may be full of charisma and full of dynamism and be full of all of this. But of course, the Apostle Paul taught, you can have all of those amazing things, but if you do not have love, you are a resounding gong and it's character, character, character that builds the life of a Christian, a family and a church. So this church business, we will discover, is a fragile thing. This community, this new community of believers who believe in Jesus, this is fragile. It sometimes feels a bit like a house of cards. It sometimes feels like I've got to treat it with respect. And I think sometimes we forget that the church and the body and the bride of Christ is something where we need to approach it with the greatest of integrity and the greatest of personal character and the greatest within our lives. You see, the Christian faith isn't just about us being baptized and then one day you will have your funeral and you will be faithful to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me tell you something. It counts to Jesus what you are like between your baptism and between your funeral and what kind of character you portray in your Christian living. It counts. It counts for him. And so it's about the whole person, Philemon. It's about understanding who we are in Christ. It's about understanding our position and understanding each other and treating each other in a very different and very remarkable way. It's about blessing each other. It's about seeing Christ in each other. It's about understanding what Christ can do. And so Paul is being fragile because he's, he's, he's been delicate in this because Christianity is not a game of table tennis. Christianity is a sport activity, a team activity. Now you may like your table tennis. You're alone. You're against that wicked opponent and you're battling away against your father-in-law and you just want to, yes. But our faith isn't about loneliness and about being the lone person. Our faith is about community. And Onesimus is, is in the middle of this, he's in hot water and in real trouble because he has dishonored his master. 
He's dishonored him and he's found himself in this situation. And Paul is writing this letter in such a way that he's balancing maybe the anger, the grudge, the pain. He's trying to do it in a way that this will go well. Because he doesn't want to upset his church leader, but he actually puts a lot on his church leader. And he's got a young slave who's probably 20 years old. And he wants to see the work of God done in this slave who he calls in the text useless, who has now become useful. And he starts to look at this. And there's a moment of delicate communication. And he knows that if he gets it wrong, it can create all kinds of problems. And you know what that's like in life sometimes, don't you? Delicate communication, right? There are some things you should approach with real cautiousness and you should probably avoid unless you've been invited to give a comment, right? You know that if you've had a, a member of your family, maybe a mother-in-law or a father-in-law who is quite outspoken. The worst thing I've discovered is when I've noticed in my pastoral ministry is when people attempt, other people attempt to give somebody advice about their parenting skills. Mm. This is what Paul's doing here. He's giving advice. And you know when that person comes and gives advice, well, meaning I've watched you and your children, I've watched how they run around and do this, I've got a little bit of wisdom for you. There's two parts of your brain. There is this part which is rational and thinks logically and thinks, hmm, oh, thank you so much for your input. I'm so grateful. And there's this part of your brain which is your animal fight part of your brain that helps you kill wild bears in the wilderness. And the danger is that when you approach this subject, this part of the brain ends up here and then ends up here and then ends up up here, right? This is Paul's problem. Because he knows. So how's he going to deal with this? How's he going to approach it? Well, first of all, let's introduce Onesimus, the slave. How does Paul feel about him? How does Paul look at this young runaway slave? How does he feel about him? Well, of course, he, he, he starts the letter to Philemon as he comes and he intercedes and he wants to bring reconciliation. He wants to bring hope. He wants to bring God's presence and he wants to, to change the status of this young man in the mind of Philemon. He wants to bring about something. So how does he approach? Approach this Well, first of all, the way that he approaches it in, in verse 10, he jumps straight in and he makes it very clear that I appeal to you for my son. Suddenly, he takes this runaway slave and there were slave catchers and you would be put on a list and the description would go all over the Roman Empire. They had this down to a fine art and this runaway slave who has met Jesus Christ, who has now met the apostle, suddenly the apostle apostle looks at him and he says, he is my son. He's my son. 
I don't view him anymore as a runaway, useless slave, but I view him as a son in God's kingdom. He then looks, and as he looks at him to talk about a son, and in verse 12, he says, you know, my heart is there. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. There's deep emotion. So whatever has gone on in the life of the apostle is that he now views this young man as his son. He now views him in, in my very heart. There is a deep connection. There is something that is profound. There is something that is wonderful. I love this young man. I know, and Paul uses a bit of a joke here in the Greek. You can't get it. You know, there's about three jokes in this 370 word letters and they're not that funny, but they must have had them rolling in the aisles in Colossia and Ephesus and Philippi. But one of the little jokes is there is a little witticism that he says he was useless and now he is useful. <laughs> um, and that would set the whole Greek world laughing. They'd love it. And so he cracks a joke about this, this ridiculous young man. And we, let's be honest, how many of us know 20-year-olds that to us feel ridiculous? <laughs> and they're our sons. And... Why? But you know he's our son. I connect with him in heart. And then goes on to say, actually, more than that, he is my brother, verse 16. He is a brother that is there no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you. Well, he's not actually. Paul's kind of dropping that in. He's kind of saying, you think he's a pain in the neck and I'm trying to teach you something. He is dear to you. And Philemon's probably going, no, he's not. He's dear to you. No, he's not. It's a Monty Python sketch. And, and to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. How many times can the apostle use the word brother? I can labor a point, but he can do it better than me. He's making the point. And then he goes on, incredibly, to say that when he arrives, treat him as if it's me that's arriving. Wow. Treat him as if it's in verse 17. He goes on and says this. He says, treat him so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. How does Paul say at the end of the letter? He says, Prepare the spare room for me because I'm hoping to be with you. How ridiculous is this? He's a slave. He had no status. It is, I can imagine the Roman guards reading this letter before it was sent and just going, what is this guy talking about? Well, who is the apostle? Well, as you welcome me. Well, who is? Who is Paul? He's the apostle of Christ, called by Christ. He's an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the greatest Christian missionary that has ever lived. And he says, now treat him like I'm coming. Can I ask you a question? Do you treat people who are a pain in the neck, who are in Christ, who are young and foolish, who is the runaway slave that is in your life, do you treat them as if God 
is at work within their lives? Or do you hold a grudge? You see, the real power of this is, is that he's asking Philemon, listen, view this young man who is now in Christ. View this young man who is now useful to me. View this young man with all the potential, with all of God's plan, with God's grace. Believe the best for this young man. Believe the very best for him because he can take a slave, a useless slave, a useless individual who is of no worth, who has robbed from you, that has disrespected you, that has hurt you, that has offended you. You've got every right to be angry. You've got every right to hold a grudge. But tell you what, let this slave let, it, let God work in this life and you will see something amazing. And I think this is what we're learning about Paul's tenderness. We often think of him as a theological stormtrooper, throwing grenades on, on dissident groups of, 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 of lawgivers and, and dividers and Gnostics and people who are messing with the church. But here we see his tender, loving side rather than write this young man off. Why don't you see who he is in Christ? So we have to consider to ourselves, are there people that we have written off? Are there people that we hold a grudge to? And is it time to let the slaves go free? Is it time to let it go? The other thing is, you may view yourself with low self-esteem. You may view yourself as if in your own life you are useless or worthless. No. When you're in Christ, you are a son and a daughter of the living God. No. When you're in Christ, your heart and God's heart is connected to the work of Christ on the cross. No, you are a brother, you are a sister in the Lord. And Christ himself is your brother. He's there. No, you're an ambassador In Christ, you are chosen, you have a destiny, you have a purpose, you have a plan, you have an opportunity that God has put within you. That uselessness can be turned into God's destiny, God's purpose, God's plan, his his plan for your life. Because the Lord is for you and the Lord is not against you because you are a child of the living God. Wow. So stop holding the grudges. So Paul then turns and then turns on to Philemon. As he turns to him, he goes, okay, my dear. Verse 1. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and, and Glenn dealt with this, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Your friend. Okay, you're my friend. And as friends in Christ, there's a way to behave towards each other. You're my brother, you're my friend. It goes deep. There's a politeness, there's a Roman way of writing here. 
There's a way that is incredible. But he's asking something remarkable. And this is why this letter, there is no ancient comparison to it. There is a letter by a, uh, a, a young Roman from the higher classes uh, called uh, Pithy. And he wrote uh, numerous letters, which we still have. And there is a letter when he falls out with one of his servants and his servant runs away to a friend and he, the servant falls on the floor and weeps and weeps. And the friend writes, we got the letter, the letter coming back and says, your servant came to me, but he was so distraught. He fell at my feet. He wept, he wept. I reprimanded. I told him how wrong he was and I said, Send him back to you and you can receive him back. And I know that he knows the error of his ways. And we have dealt with him severely and that he will act appropriately and correctly for you now. This is the closest letter to this letter. But you'll discover that the way the Romans did things in culture and the way Christians do things in culture are completely different. The danger is this. That the way we do things in culture is the same as our culture. You're my friend. Verse 17 says, not only are you my friend, but you are my partner. So, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. So he uses the word partner here. And you can imagine Philemon thinking, you're really laying it on thick here. Okay, okay, so I'll go welcome him, but you're, yes, I know you're my partner. So you're my friend, we're friends. Friends can ask things of each other. We're now, okay, partner, okay. And verse 19, Paul goes on. He goes on and says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Okay, good. I will pay it back, not only to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> So I'm your friend, I'm your partner, and now you're saying, I owe you my very self. This, this is actually a little joke, by the way, I think. It's one of those killer Roman punchlines. The very self. It's actually a business term in the original. And he's saying, we have an agreement. We have obligations. It, it, the very self, it is a business agreement. that we. So he's getting on every level. Every level. Level number one, friendship. Level number two, partnership. We're there, co-workers together. Hallelujah. We're there. You have a contractual agreement to do whatever. So verse, and then verse 21 he then really finishes it off perfectly, confident of your obedience. I will write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Even more? Even more? Wouldn't you like Paul as your pastor? I'm thinking not. He's asking, be my friend, be committed in partnership, and I'll tell you what, you know, we've got a contractual agreement that you must come to church every Sunday, even through the summer. <laughs> and even more. Well, Paul is expecting an incredible amount of grace and love from Philemon. He's expecting so much from him. It's, it's incredible. 
So you must ask yourself the question, what is he expecting? Why is he expecting this? Why? What is the big question here? The big question is, why is Paul going to all of this effort for this young man who's 20? Well, he's fighting for him, that's for sure. It has every mark of gospel theology in it. Somebody runs away, is lost, is condemned, meets an intercessor. The intercessor steps in the heart and sends him back to his home with a letter of forgiveness and saying this. It has the gospel on it. It also has Luke 15 in it, the prodigal son flowing through it. It is Paul solving a problem in love and in grace, but gospel-centered that when we approach a problem, We should always look for love. We should always be servants. We should always be willing to look at our character. And we should always be willing to acknowledge that we want to honor the touch of God in people's lives. Even when they have hurt us and offended us. And that is true, remarkable Christian character to let go of the grudge. Because the grudge... It's away. But I think there's more here. I think there's more here because what Paul is actually trying to say is this. Here's this young man, Onesimus. And in him I see God's hand. And if we just keep pushing in, God's going to do great things in his life. It's a little bit like those moments on the antique shows when they discover a a painting and they go, oh, look at this. And then they go, oh. And then you discover that they've slowly taken layers of, of useless paint away and underneath the useless picture there is a sketch or a oil painting by a master, Rembrandt or Turner and, and they discover that underneath the layers of, of this looks useless, there is the touch of the master, and there is a masterpiece there. And what we've got to learn to do is believe that God is working a masterpiece in each one of our lives. That's what's going on. There's undertones here that is taking place, undertones that are powerful, undertones of, 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 of something. Is, you might say, well, why isn't Paul being direct? Seems that it's sneaky, doesn't it? Some theologians have described it as using perfect psychology to get his way. But you know, Philemon's no fool. He's a... He's a successful man. He knows when he's perhaps been put under pressure. He understands this. Now, imagine what, why Paul uses phrases and we don't sometimes quite know what he's saying. Well, think about this for a moment. Paul's in prison. Who reads letters when they're sent out of prison? The prison authorities. So Paul has to say some pretty radical things that are against the Roman context in such a way as to capture 
the heart of Philemon and not give himself away. Because actually what he's saying is, here's a runaway slave. Slaves were the um, kind of the power source and the electricity that drove the Roman Empire. You kept them under control. They could be used and abused and tortured and killed at will. You had absolute power. They had no rights. And here is a runaway slave. And Paul says, treat him with honor. Bless him. Welcome him back. Open up the spare room for him. Care for him. And I want you to do even more. Let's go back to that verse 21. What could that mean? Even more. Do you know what I think it means? It means let him go. Paul can't say that. But I think he's saying let him go because God's doing something with him. Let him go. Because God's at work. Even more? This is ludicrous. This is madness. No, let him go. He'll serve you. He'll be useful to you. But let him go. Why? Well, it was certainly possible in the ancient world to be a Christian and a slave. But it was pretty much impossible to be a preacher, a church leader, and a missionary and a slave. Let him go. Because God has something for Philo. God has something for him. Let him go. Let him free. So God can do something remarkable. Who do you need to free in your life, by the way? Who do you need to write down and let go of? Who do you need to give up the grudge? Who do you need to say, Lord... I hand it over. <sighs> okay, I'll prepare even the spare room for them. And let's be honest, we've got a lot of relatives arriving at the moment, haven't we? And maybe you're preparing a spare room. We're preparing a spare room for my mother-in-law, who I utterly love, darling. Um, <laughs> I love her. She's magnificent. But prepare the spare room. <laughs> Can I fast forward 50 years, church history? Theologian Knox points this out, and I love it. 50 years on, the church of Ephesus is under such pain. The old apostle, <clears throat> Paul, is dead. The bishop of Ephesus is taken off, and he's going to be martyred, far, thrown actually to wild beasts. Iranius is going to be killed. And they appoint a new bishop in Ephesus. Do you know what his name was? Juanissimus. In fact, the Orthodox Church is a saint. Doesn't that just give you a tingle? It does me, it gives me. I don't know what you call them. We call them goosebumps. But the runaway slave could have become the bishop of Ephesus. Seventy years old now he would have been. And as a seventy-year-old man, he takes up the leadership of the region. 
as the bishop. Now, it was a common name. And it, there were a lot of names like this. But I find it remarkable that 50 years later, the young runaway is now the bishop of Ephesus. I don't know if you can believe that. Personally, I love happy endings. I'm going to believe it. And if it's not true, it's all right. I'm still going to believe it until I get to heaven and have a chat with him. And because it makes me think that if I have a runaway son, a runaway daughter, a runaway friend, that Christ can bring divine appointments through prayer. They can meet a wonderful person and they can discover God and God's plan can be reignited in their lives. Amen. And you are all runaways. But you've just come back. And now it's time to do what God is calling you to do. Let's pray together. It should change our opinion about how we view others. And this week, before you come back next week, I'll be preaching next week from the little epistles of John. But next week, this week, why don't you do something? Why don't you open your Bibles as we all love to do in this church? Get our journals out as we all love to do and journal and pray and listen to the Lord. Reflect on Scripture. And write down a list of all the grudges you hold against all those people. All those runaways. And deal with them. And bring forgiveness. And bring grace. A lady said to me last night, and she, she said, you know, I live in Cologne now, I've been coming to the church, but two years ago in on the island, my husband ran away, leaving us with two children. I haven't seen him since. But I've managed in my heart to get to this point. I've handed him to the Lord and allowing the Lord to build a beautiful character within me. A stunning testimony. Lord, I pray that when we look at another brother or sister in Christ, we will see a son and a daughter of the living God and speak to them in a way accordingly, Lord. Lord, I pray that hearts of God, a heart of God may be connected to people around us so that we may gain the heart of God as Paul got the heart of God for this young man so we may get the heart of God for those around us. What is your heart for people? May we look at each other in this room and in our Christian community as brothers and sisters and speak with the tenderness and delicate way of love. And Lord, may we View all of us with the potential that God has in our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.